Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Baskets are going around. We are going to go ahead and get into the message. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jared. Um, I'm a lead pastor, and I love this part of the service. I look forward to this all week long. This is like my favorite thing in the world to do. But um, today we are going to be finishing off the message series that we have been in uh, throughout the month of January called Soul Detox. And Soul Detox is really where in the beginning of the year, what oftentimes happens for people is they think, man, I have gained all this weight or I feel unhealthy. I don't like how I feel. And so I do a detox in my body in order to you know, clean out my system so that I can kind of start fresh and begin anew. Well, it's just as important for us to do the same thing in our souls. And so we have been uh, in this series called Soul Detox, and if you haven't been following along, if you've been taking notes, and uh, there's a, kind of this running theme with it, and that is this, is that we are not a body with a soul. Instead, we are a soul with a body. The Bible paints a picture for us that, that we are, our being in its essence is the soul, and then around it is the body. And so this thing that we see, the skin and the bones, is really just what is part of us that will eventually die one day, but what will live on is our soul. And so taking care of our soul is incredibly important. In fact, today we're going to be talking about what's called the seduced soul. And this one, uh, I just want to kind of right off the bat tell you that this topic is one that is, uh, it's heavy and it's uh, a little challenging. So um, as your pastor and as your friend, I just want to encourage each of you this morning to, to listen to what I'm saying but hear my heart behind it. Um, I'm talking to myself as well. Some of the things we're going to say today um, are challenging, and I believe, and they're right out of Scripture, so everything that we see is going to be right uh, in the Word of God. But at the same time, just how many of you know that sometimes you read something or you hear a pastor say something, and you just immediately, you buck against it, or you don't like it, you kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, and maybe sometimes we just sort of ignore it. Uh, I just want to encourage you today to not do that. Your temptation and mine all throughout this week has been to to just kind of hear it and allow it to kind of pass through without really allowing it to like sink in and let God speak. So my encouragement to you today is just to, to not do that and instead to say, okay, God, what is it you want to say to me? And is there anything that I'm missing? So that's the whole idea today of the seduced soul. I want to start off with a quick story. Um, when, I, as a parent, I have two children, and I am an uncle, and I have nieces, and I have nephews, and I've been around a lot of kids. And probably you've been in a similar situation. Maybe you've gone camping, or what we like to have in our backyard, we have, we like to set up a little campfire and have friends over. And so we have a fire in the backyard. But anytime that you have children around, the campfire, I always see parents freaking out because they're worried that their kids are going to fall into the fire somehow, right? But why is that? It's because as children, they don't know any better, and so they see the fire, and it's beautiful, right? Anyone who's ever gotten caught in the mesmerizing, uh, you know, movement of the flames, and it's, it's gorgeous to look at. And so children see that, and they look at it, and their first thought is to touch it. That's what they want to do. Same thing in the house with, with um, like, the stove and the oven, right? They don't know any better, and so they're just mesmerized by the fire of a campfire, and they, their temptation is to want to go towards it and to be drawn towards it. 
Well, this is a lot of what it's like in our souls. There, the seduced soul is the concept of being so taken by or mesmerized by something that might be harmful for us, right? So today we're going to talk about that. The reality is that for so many of us, that we are seduced into settling for something and pursuing things that might be dangerous to us. And the Bible actually calls this what's called idolatry, the sin of idolatry. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, we really going old school here today, Old Testament idolatry. What does that even mean for us today? Here's a real quick kind of definition, right, of what we're talking about, the seduced soul. The sin of idolatry is that our souls are seduced into settling for a substitute for God. Our souls are oftentimes seduced into settling for a substitute for God. Now, when I put it that way, I think, oh, that makes more sense. There might be areas of my life that maybe are substituting for God. And we'll talk more a little bit about this. So what today we're going to do is we're going to detox from the idols that so seduce us so subtly. Now, where does this come from? In the Old Testament, the very first of the Ten Commandments, everybody knows the Ten Commandments, right? The very first of the Ten Commandments talks about this. Exodus chapter 20. Verses 3 and 4, if you're reading along and you want to open your Bibles, Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, why is it? that our souls are so susceptible, so vulnerable to this concept of finding substitutes or worshiping and being seduced by idols. Why is it? The reason is, is because our souls have been created to worship. The Bible talks about it all the time. Our souls, who we are, was literally created by God to be worshipers. And so in a natural form is we're either going to worship God or we're going to worship something else, okay? So we are created to be worshipers. By design, we were created to be worshipers, created to worship. And so when we allow our souls to be consumed by anything other than God, we find ourselves never satisfied. That's what happens. So the Bible talks about it. Scripture teaches that we are created to be worshipers or we're going to worship something, but when we find ourselves being consumed by other things that's not God, we are often unsatisfied. And this is why our lives can be full of so many things, all sorts of wonderful things, and yet we feel like we're empty inside. This is the reason for it, because things cannot satisfy the soul that was created to be satisfied by the one true God. And so, we're going to look into this a little bit further. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 16 to 19 talks about it. It says, so do not corrupt yourselves. Deuteronomy 4, 16 to 19. Do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. In any form. This is going to be important for us. And he goes into a list, whether it's a man or a woman, whether it's an animal on the ground, maybe a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and you see the sun and you see the moon and you see the stars and all the forces of heaven, listen to this, don't be seduced into worshiping them. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. Now, idolatry is a weird topic for us, right? Because this is like, feels foreign 
To us, we don't talk about idolatry much, but in the Old Testament, it's everywhere. This language that's used about idolatry, it was they had statues in their homes and in their temples that they would worship. They had these weird sticks called Asherah poles that they would put in the ground, and they would, they would bow down. They would literally get on their knees, and they would bow down to a stick in the ground, okay? They would have pictures. They would have images. They had um, altars. They would have all of these things that, that were there for them to worship, and we don't don't do that. Like if you were to say, well, Pastor Jared, I, I'm not an idolatrous person. I would never choose to actually bow down to like a chair or, you know, to something that I clearly know isn't God. I would never do that, right? But the reason that we are so seduced into it is why we, it's so important for us to understand that the concept of idolatry is about seduction is because it's so easy for us to actually fall into putting a substitute for God in our lives, that we don't even realize it, that we don't even, we look at our lives and we think, I don't, I certainly don't worship anything other than God, but when we think of it in terms of, and of allowing something to be a substitute for God in our lives, then we see that we become seduced into it. We, we are seduced into worshiping a counterfeit. Um, when I went to India a few years ago, it was crazy because it's not like America at all. There are literally idols everywhere. We would be walking through these winding back alleys that were sort of bazaars where there were, um, you know, shops and stores and there were people um, just kind of milling about. And every maybe 100 feet, there would be a little alcove and there would be a shrine for, for a one of a million different gods that they that in the Hindu religion that they worship. And so there would be a shrine there and there would be three or four people there kind of saying prayers and they would bow down and they would literally doing the things that we would see in the Old Testament. And then we would see a holy man sitting over here um, dressed, you know, hardly in anything but a loincloth and he had been there for 15 years and, and, and you know, and, and then they worship animals. So there are animals everywhere, all over the place. Monkeys crawling on buildings and there's cows literally in the middle of the traffic pattern. So on a road, a paved two-way highway road, there was a, in one of them, by the dividing wall, there was a cow just laying in the middle of the road. And the cars would literally stop and go around the cow and get back into it. There are idols everywhere in India. So we don't think of that in America because we don't have those kinds of idols here. When we went to Greece, there are statues in all of them to Athena and to um, all of these other, in these kind of ancient cultures where it's built into their, into their culture as a people, there are, there are images, there are um, statues, there are necklaces, there are all sorts of things that are everywhere that are idols to other gods. And so, but we don't think of that here. Now, the, on the flip side of that, there are um, devout Muslims or people from other religions who will not even come to the United States. And the reason that they won't come here is because they say that our country is too idolatrous. And you would say, wait a minute, what is that? I, we don't have these kinds of statues everywhere. We don't have those sorts of idols here. And they would say, no, no, no. Yes, you do. You worship your stomach here. Food is a god for you in the United States. Every restaurant, every corner has 10 restaurants on it. Your grocery stores are massive and huge, and there are millions of food items that you can choose from. You, you set up your, your living rooms with a box and put it on a wall, and everything in your house is built around this centerpiece that you turn on, and you look at it, and you devote all of your time to sitting and looking at this thing that, that is talking to you, a television, right? When we go to movies and all of these things, like we build cathedrals, 
cathedrals, movie theaters to sit in, and we worship in those places. That's what they say. Sports arenas is another example. They say these people who wear clothing, like uniforms, and they get out into a field, and they beat each other up, or they throw a ball around, and they get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then we go buy clothes so that we can look like them. And we sit on our couches, or we go to those places, and we cheer them on, and then we worship them right? This is what people would say about America. And we think to ourselves, we're not idolatrous, except that maybe in our behaviors, maybe the things we spend all of our money on, the things that we build, the things that maybe we don't necessarily get on our knees and bow down and worship, but what do we do? When we go to church, we sit here and we close our eyes and we sing songs and we maybe lift our hands a little bit and worship. We go to rock concerts and we do the same thing. Right? We go to football games and baseball games, and we do the same thing. And we follow the news of the people who are in the, you know, who's dating who and who got married to who and all of those things, right? Wow, I never thought of it like that. That other people outside of our country look at us, devout religious people look and say, I won't even come to your country because of the, the way that you worship things that are not a God. It's crazy. I never even thought of it that way. We are seduced oftentimes so easily in our souls to substitute pleasure and satisfaction in our souls. And it's a substitute for what God can truly bring. And the irony is, is that these people couldn't see their own idolatry, right? They don't see it. They think I'm worshiping a God that we know is a false God. And they've got statues and necklaces. And the irony is that they, they can't see it, but we can't even see our own. We live in a country where we can't even see the, the idolatry of our own lives. We have been seduced into elevating even might, what might be good things to become supreme things in our lives. And without even knowing it, we lift things above God in our own hearts. We have the seduced soul. Now, Jesus asked this question in Mark 8, verses 36. Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the entire world and yet forfeit his soul? Forfeit his soul. Let's talk about that. How do we dethrone the idols in our souls? the things that have seduced our souls, dethroning the idols of our souls. The first thing is we have to identify the idols of our souls. What is it, what is it that we have elevated in our lives, in our souls, in our hearts above God? What is it that ranks higher than the one true God? And this is right now where you're like, well, there ain't nothing. I can tell you that, nothing, right? But I'm, I'm just, again, you're, the challenge for all of us today is to say, God, is there something that, that I place higher in my life? Is there something that even rivals you in my life that, that you would challenge, you would call out this morning? I want to read Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, when we're looking about how do we identify the idols of our souls. This is it. Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, who, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Right? So who, who is it that can come clean in, their, in the place and meet with God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, who doesn't lift up his soul to an idol. So there are three areas that I want to, I think we can look at today that would kind of help us. This is a really like nebulous concept. It's hard for us. How do I know? Right? So three areas that we can look at to identify idols in our souls. The first is our time. Where do we spend our time? right? For many of us, time is our most valuable commodity. Some of us don't feel like we have any of it. But the reality is, is we all have the same amount of time. And the question is, where do we spend our time? 
And I think if we look at the way that we spend our time, we'll see our priorities in our lives, right? Where do we spend our time? What about our money? Money's another example of that. The things, if you want to find a God in your life, find where you spend your money. There are people, this is just an easy example to pick on, but there are people who go to Starbucks like every day, twice a day, um, or places like that where they have to have it, right? And if you were to say to them, hey, for a month, I would challenge you to, to take that money, and I want you to take this for this month, and I want you to send it to a child and, you know, sponsor a child, you know, in another country, maybe who needs food, right? And they would say, I've seen people who say, ah, I really can't, I can't do that. I need my coffee in the morning, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with coffee. Of course not. I love coffee. I'm a coffee snob, okay? But, but the idea is, is that if I struggle to give up something that is really frivolous, right, Am I, is that thing possibly an idol in my life that I'm elevating to a place of supreme authority in my life? It could be any number of things. Money, where do we spend our money? Maybe it's on cars, maybe it's on clothes. I don't know, maybe it's on, you know, uh, having a, a house that's in a certain part of the town so that, that you feel better about it. All sorts of ways to spend money. Another one is our conversation. So our time, our money, what about our conversation? The way that we speak to people, the words that we use, and how we talk to people. Do we, do we, um, what are the things we talk about? Are we talking about sports all the time? Are we talking about our faith all the time? Are we talking about, um, you know, the blessings that, that we feel like we have? Are we, are we, the things that we, the indicator is the things that we talk about the most. Are stock options or, um, you know, maybe your job or how well your kids are doing in school. The things that we talk about all the time indicate where our heart really is leaning towards, right? So those are some areas for us to identify time, our money, and our conversation. Here's some thoughts that I had as I was kind of preparing this this week. For some of us, the most important things in our lives are our home. We spend all of our thoughts and our time and our money on building our houses and our homes and making them decorated nicely and and fixing things up all the time. For some of us, it's sports, right? We're all over the sports and the fantasy football and, and, you know, like I said, getting the clothing for it that goes with it. you got to watch every game. My boss watches almost every single Pittsburgh Pirates game. And then when it's Penguin season, he's watching all of those things. And yet I see how he talks about his own children, right? He doesn't have a strong relationship with his kids and his marriage is, is, is struggling in pieces because, I'm not saying it's just because of sports, but there's a possibility that this thing in his life could be something that is, has a supreme authority in his life, right? For some of us, it's sports. For some of us, it's fitness. It's, it's the, I have, to, I have to look the right way. I got to work out all the time. I got to take care of my body. And again, these things are good things, but for some of us, we elevate them beyond healthy spaces. For some of us, it's our kids' activities, right? We don't even come to church because my kid has a sports game. Or for some of us, we can't go here, can't do that because our kids have this uh, activity or, or like a, a class and thing. And again, education is important. Our kids are so important, but are we elevating it above putting priorities in our lives? For some of us, it's online gaming. For some of us, it's education, social networking. It could be dysfunctional relationship with your phone, you know, for some of us. For some of us, it's even food, maybe even obsessive healthy eating. That can be an idol in our lives, that we eat, that we make such choices about it that we begin to forget that, like, it actually becomes that's more of an authority. You hear what I'm saying? None of these things are bad things, but are we allowing 
any of these things to be the decision makers in our lives. When instead of consulting the Lord, instead of spending time with him, I'm so focused on going to yoga class that I don't go to church or I don't have my time with the Lord in the mornings. Or, do you understand? That's the idea. Am I going to go to a football game uh, instead of coming to church or going to a Bible study or whatever it might be? And again, I'm not saying that a Sunday morning service or a Bible study in the middle of the week is the thing. But I'm saying is, is if you look over your life, the opportunities of the time that we have and the way that we spend our time and our money and our conversations, how much of it involves our relationship with the Lord and how much of it is these other areas that might be actually priorities in our life, more and unhealthy. Could be so many things, music, hobbies, pursuing wealth. We are consumed with our focus on them. And again, I just want to ask you to be honest this morning. And so I want to tell you this, is this is, I loved how Heather mentioned the life groups. I encourage you to not talk about this at your life group, to go this week to life group. We have groups that meet all throughout the week, and we, we come together as friends, and we eat together, and we spend time talking about the Sunday messages. And this is a perfect opportunity to be able to say, you know, I thought about it a few days, and at first I didn't really think I had anything, but you know what, this, this one area of my life has not gone away, and wow, it really kind of sparked something in me, and I feel like it might be an idol in my life. It might be. I want you to talk about it with a mentor or your life group to begin working through that. If I could be honest with you this morning, there are a couple areas that I have idolized in my life over time. One of them is the opinions of other people. It's been an idol in my life for a long time. I care very much what other people think about me, about my, my behavior, my actions, my ministry. I struggled with that for years. And I still struggle with it at times, but I have realized it, I've called it out, that I have made other people's opinions more valuable in my life than what God thinks about me. It's just me being honest. And I think many of us in the room probably struggle with a lot of that in similar spaces. We care so much about what our friends or our peers think about us or our work, you know, um, uh, companions think about us, the people that we work with, or, you know, we, 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 we want to hold up such, such appearances because we think that what they think about us matters. And I understand that there are appearances that need to take place. And, you know, if you want a promotion, I, I'm, again, we're talking real gray, thin gray areas. Okay, here. But, but for so long, I allowed, I, I, I was so filled with, with feelings of not measuring up, with feeling like the things that I put my hands to, the work that I gave, what I felt like I'd given everything that I had with the right heart, I felt like it wasn't good enough because I was comparing myself to other people. I was constantly trying to gain the approval of my peers and of other people, and that always left me dissatisfied. It was an idol in my life. Another area that I've idolized was with electronics or gadgets. For years and years, I would have to get the new iPhone every year. Every year, I would, I would spend, didn't matter how much money it was. I, you know, I had just gotten a new phone, and there could be one tiny little feature that was new, and maybe they curved the edge of the screen, and I would be out there. I would pre-order. I'd be waiting in line at the Apple store to get this new phone. If it was a TV, you know, I wanted to get the right TV. I had to get the, with the right amount of refresh rate and pixels and the resolution. I wanted to make sure that I had the right gaming system, and I had to have the right controllers to go with it. And if there was a new game out, I went and got it. Like, and it didn't matter how much money it cost, and if I didn't have the money, if I had to put it in my credit card, if I went into debt over it, this was my life. For a long time, I idolized electronics, materialism. I don't know what it is for you, 
These are just things that I've struggled with and wrestled with and that God has called out in my life and said, that's an idol. You have substituted satisfaction from me with this in your life. And so what I want to ask you to do and myself to do is to humble yourself and sincerely ask God to point it out. God, is there an area in my life that I have elevated to supreme authority in my life, something that is equal or above you? Where am I being seduced into idolatry? And once we identify our idols, Scripture teaches us to tear down our idols. Now, this is important. It doesn't say to manage our idols. God never says to tolerate them, but to tear them down, to obliterate them. Get rid of anything that is more important to me and to you than the one true God. And that's what God told Gideon to do in Judges when all the people around him were bowing down to idols and worshiping them, listen to this. In Judges chapter 6, verse 25, God says, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. There's like a, a righteous anger that was involved here. It wasn't like a, well, you know, they might be offended if I tell them to take down that stick. I don't know. I mean, I can just kind of have it in my house, you know, my area. I'll just kind of do my own thing. I don't have to bother people. Like, and yes, what we're talking about here is your own life, okay? But maybe it does involve the people that are around you, perhaps your friends, perhaps the places that you visit. I don't know, whatever it might be for you. But there is a righteous anger that God is saying to Gideon, go out there and destroy these things. And in fact, one of the things, if you read the Old Testament, the pattern is that in Kings and in Chronicles, if you've ever read them in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, the pattern is this new God comes into power and it either says one of two things. It either says he put God first and went through the entire place and tore down all the altars and ripped up all the Asherah poles and burned them and they began to worship God again. Or the opposite was, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and did not tear down those poles, did not crush the altars. And what ended up happening with them is that the tide began to turn so much that there were so many kings who didn't do that that they ended up in exile, that they ended up conquered and their entire lives were destroyed and they were sent to a far off land. And so... What God is saying to us is that if we live in a place of compromise and we have no one but to blame but ourselves, when, when our lives begin to be ruined by the things that we, that we have substituted for God, tear down the idols. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. If you just try to manage it, it will continue to seduce your soul. I talked last week about pornography. There was a point in my life where I tried very hard to just manage it. I was like, well, you know, like, I know I struggle with lust. I know that, like, you know, that if I watch a movie that has this sex scene in it, that, you know, it might not be today or tomorrow, but then, like, I find myself sort of, like, being drawn to, to, to look at people as, you know, about throughout my week, and then it just sort of, like, seduces slowly until one day I'm by myself, and I think, maybe I'll go to that website right? It didn't happen overnight. And I kept thinking, like, I don't, you know, like the thought was cut it off at the source. Stop it right here at the source. Don't watch that movie that I know has this, this scene in it because that's where it begins, right? I knew that, but I wouldn't do it for a long time because I wanted to watch the movie. I heard it's really good, right? Like, whatever it might be for you, follow me, track with me here. We're not just talking about one thing. It's whatever it might be, okay? And 
And finally, I got to a point where, like I said last week, it was over and over and over and over again. And I felt so shameful and so guilty because I knew this was, was not God's plan for me. He did not want this for me. And yet I couldn't stop and I couldn't say no. And I would go for weeks or months at a time and then I would fall right back into it, this whole problem. And I realized that I was seduced into thinking that the little thing didn't matter, right? And this is why it's so important to tear down the altar or tear down the idol rather than manage it. So what did I do? So I went and asked my wife, I said, can you set up restrictions on my phone, right? We got some software on the computer, built boundaries, walls around these places that I don't have the passwords for that protect me in those spaces. I obliterated the idol in my life. I was not going to tolerate it. I choose that when I'm watching a movie and I know there's a scene coming along, I fast forward through that scene. You understand? Like things like that where I choose to not even, like the other day we were watching movies with friends of mine and there was a particular scene that came along. I got up and left the room when I knew that was coming. This is a choice that I have made to tear down an altar in my life. And whatever that might be for you, But I promise you, out of my own experience, if you struggle with an idol in your life and you just allow it to sit there and remain and you don't tear it down and instead you try to manage it, it will never go away. It will continue to seduce your soul and it will always have a place in your life. Pastor Craig Groeschel talks about a man that he met once who kept talking about how he was blessed by God. He was like, man, God has blessed me. I've got so much money. Like, I'm so thankful for it. Look at all this money. I've got a new house and all this car. I've got more money than I know what to do with it. And it's great. And Pastor Craig says, he's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, have you become, have you found yourself to become like a really generous person? And he's like, no. Flat out, no. And he's like, I'm sorry, wait a minute, what? Like, God has blessed you. You admit God has blessed you with all of this stuff and like this money you have more than you know what to do with it and you're not a generous person. You don't give to church. You don't give to charity. You don't do anything with it. He's like, no, no. Like I love money. He's like, I love, I love having it. I love keeping it. I love how it makes me feel. And then Pastor Craig was just like, like jaw dropped. He's like, you have all of this and you go to church all the time and you know that God gives so that you can be a part of giving back and like participating with him. You don't, you don't see a problem. He says, I don't care. He literally said, I love money. I love that I have it and I don't care. Now, my fear for each one of us is that we're going to hear this message today and then we're going to act the same way. We're going to say, I love my career. I love working for it. And yeah, like my marriage might be falling apart. You know, man, I don't see my kids, but only on the weekends. And when I talk to them, they don't really have anything to say because they don't really know me, right? And I'm working my tail off and I step on people along the way. And I don't know if it's anybody in the room, but whatever that might be. And I do, but you know what? I love my career and there's nothing that's gonna stop me. I hear God saying to me, Jared, I think that maybe this thing in your life might be too important to you. It makes you drive into decisions that maybe aren't healthy. And your first reaction is going to be, but I like it and I don't care. That's my fear for you this morning. Maybe it's materialism like it was for me for years, right? I knew, I knew that I was spending money that I didn't have. I knew that I was accruing debt and I said, you know what, but I like it. I have that Xbox and it makes me feel good, right? My fear for you and for me today is that you're gonna hear God speaking to you and you're gonna say, I don't care. I like it. I like this stuff or the thing that I'm chasing after. It's my fear. Don't allow that to be. Tear down the idol. And that's why Jesus, when he came across a man who idolized his money and the things that he had, and he said this to him. Jesus looked at him. This is in Mark 10. And this man, and he says, and he loved him. Jesus looked at this man who had everything, and he loved him. I love that. 
because people are tempted to think it's like judgments or whatever, but it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, one thing you lack, sir. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Jesus loved him enough to tell him that he's settling for something that was second best. And as your pastor, as a friend, that's what I'm trying to do today. It's to tell you, if there's something in your life that you're settling for God's best in your life, it's substitution for him. I love you. Jesus loves you. And some people would say, but Jesus would never ask, really ask me to sell everything, right? Like, and I don't believe that. I don't believe that if Jesus were standing here that he would say, Jared, Christian, Scott, Lincoln, everybody, I want you to literally to go out right now and I want you to sell everything you got. I don't believe that he would do that unless, unless it was an idol to you. Unless it was an idol. Jesus would never ask us to actually sell everything unless it was an idol in our lives. And then he's going to ask us to tear it down. Tear down anything in our hearts and our lives that are more important to us than to him. Here's some examples from my life. Um, one of my favorite TV shows was on a few years ago. And before the season began, I just felt really strongly in my heart that I just felt like God was saying, I, I want you to sit out this season. And I'm like, but God, but God, it's like, it's like the newest season of this show and I love it. You know how much I love it. And I just couldn't get past this feeling of, I want you to sit out. I don't want you to watch it. And I did not know whether I would ever watch it. Like that was the sense that I had. I just had this feeling that God was saying, I want you to, I just, I want you to turn this. And what it was, was this thing was an idol in my life. And I, and it was revealed by how much of a struggle this was for me to even like, I was like, well, but, but maybe I'll watch it like the day after, right? Like, you know, I'll, like I'll abstain for the day and the next day I'll watch it. Or, I mean, the struggle itself to let go of that thing, that obedience in that one moment shows me how much of an idol it was in my life, that it was so important to me. So the entire season goes by. And halfway through, I started to feel pretty good, actually. You know, life got back to normal. I wasn't, didn't really care anymore about hearing all of the chatter and banter about it. And by the time the end of the season came, I didn't even care anymore. And what had happened was, is that God had revealed to me in my heart that this thing, this was an area of my life that I was actually thinking about when I was at work. I was thinking about it online. I was doing searching for like theories about this particular thing. And again, guys, some of the stuff is fun and it's great. It's fine. Okay. But it was such, what God did in that, in that time was he showed me that there was something hidden that I had no idea that was so important, that was actually taking a place, like a throne in my life where I kind of put God on the second chair. And this was the thing that I spent my time thinking about and priorities. I made decisions on when I would spend my time. I would think about, well, I was supposed to have a meeting. I'm going to cancel that meeting today because I want to watch the show. Like that's how it had gotten. And it could be like that for so many of you. There's a friend of mine who um, years ago made the similar decision with video games. I remember thinking he was crazy because I love video games. And he, I remember him telling me, I think, I feel like God's asking me to stop playing video games. And I was like, really? Like, and this is the kind of the same thing, like, really? Like, Jesus, like, I don't think that, like, if someone said to me or to you, hey, I really feel like God is telling me to sell my car and give it away and to quit my job um, or whatever it might be, right? You'd be like, you're crazy. Like, that's crazy. God would never ask you to, to, to you know, give up your job and to move to another city or this thing that you have like a high-powered career. You're gonna, I'm sorry, what? You're going to go like, like start a cookie shop? Like, what? Like, 
right? This, my friend said, I feel like God is saying, I want you to stop playing video games. And, and I was asking him, he said, I think the reason is, is because I don't, I don't have my quiet times anymore. He's like, I, I used to get up in the morning or at nighttime and, you know, before bed, and I would have like an hour just reading scripture and just kind of journaling and praying and whatever. He said, I don't do it anymore. Now what I do is I play like video games and I do it for hours, hours. And he says, and like, I barely get at any time with my relationship with God at all. And, uh, and now, I mean, I don't know if he plays video games. He says, I don't know if it's forever, if it's just for a season, but I don't know if he does anymore, but I see him. He is one of the most godly men that I know. He's dedicated to reading scripture. He has wonderful insights that come out of his time with the Lord. Like, and his life is tr- dramatically shifted to where I see God's hand on his life. He's doing incredible things because he has torn down an altar. It could be anything. It could be Twitter, television, <laughs> so many different areas of idols in our lives. I don't know what it is for you, but if there is something in your soul that is more important than God, then you've got to tear that thing down. And let's close with this. And then what do we do? There will be space left. There will be space left in that space. So we have to fill your soul with God. So first, we have to identify the idols in our soul. Second, we have to then tear them down, obliterate them. And third, in that void, we want to fill your soul with God. Psalm 84, verse 2 says, My soul yearns. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Psalm 107 Verse 9, for God satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, as the deer pants, like is like just thirsty for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, these are language that we don't really use for our relationship with God, right? I mean, most of us don't say, I'm hungry. I crave God. I crave my time with him. But we do talk about that with like, oh, man, I got to go to the Olive Garden. I need that salad dressing, right? Or like, I crave that new game that's coming out. Or, I, man, I have to see that new movie, right? These are the language that we use for the things in our lives, but how often are we saying, I crave my time with God. I crave my time in prayer. I'm hungry for a moment with the Lord. How often do we say things like that? And again, some of it's cultural, okay? But what I would say to you is, again, that conversation thing. The times that we spend, the amount of energy and money and and time and conversation and output that we spend on these things that are not who God is, what's the proportion or percentage that we actually do that thinking about God, thinking about who he is, allowing him to talk to us and transform us? You see what I'm saying? That's really what we're talking about here. And then maybe the more we spend it, we will be like David when he says, I crave it. I crave it. There's probably something to have to do with the fact they didn't have TV. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have tablets. They didn't have movie theaters. So they had a lot of time to be quiet. And what they found was in that peaceful stillness, in the alone time with God, David found something that satisfied him in his soul that nothing in all of history has ever been able to. And his son, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes said the same thing. I have spent my entire life searching and looking and doing everything. He was a king, so he did everything. And it meant nothing except for the Lord. If your lives are empty, lower your expectations for what this world can offer you what you hope to get out of this world. You were not created for this world. You were created for the kingdom of God. And you will never be satisfied by anything that this world can offer. I don't want you to be seduced. I don't want you to settle. 
I want to fill my soul. I want you to fill your soul with God and be satisfied. I want us to take a moment as we close here, like we have the last several weeks, and reflect inwardly and allow God to begin to detox our souls. Dana, if you want to come up and begin playing. We're going to just take a minute. And in that moment, I want us to just be silent and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and say, maybe to pinpoint or to show us an area in our lives that he wants to detox. He wants to take a moment. And before we do, I want to read a verse from a famous hymn that kind of talks about this. I think it's beautiful. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you close your eyes with me? The idea of that as we look at Jesus, as we fill our soul with him, as we spend time with him, we make intentional time to keep him on the supreme throne of our hearts. As we look at him, the things that we have become less valuable, less important, less priority in our lives, and they take their rightful place. So let's just quietly now for a minute, just allow the spirit of God to speak to us. Let's do that now. Father, I thank you for the example in Scripture that teaches us and shows us. I thank you that you care deeply about each one of us and the condition of our souls. You look in the long term, the long game, that the things that we involve in that might be fun, it might even be good things, that sometimes they take the wrong place in our lives. Too much of a good thing can be harmful. Thank you that you've spoken to us through your word and through other people to help us understand that our soul is what matters the most. God, today, as you may have pinpointed specific areas of our lives that might be compromised, spaces that we have elevated to authority that's unhealthy in our lives, would you show us that gently? I ask for your Holy Spirit to be gentle, that you would just nudge us, that you would show us. Maybe for some of us, we do need more than a nudge. Maybe some of us needs a sledgehammer attack. I don't know, but... God, I pray that whatever each of us needs, you would, you would do it in a way that is filled with grace like you promise. And everything that you say is not for shame, it's not for guilt, but it's to bring us healing, to help us be healthy. God, would you just help us to open our hearts, to not ignore you this week, open our ears. That's why you said, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, he who has eyes to see. God, help us to be people who open our ears and open our eyes to take a look in the mirror and to see what you would show us this week. And as you speak to us and challenge us, 
I pray that we would be bold in speaking to our life group leaders, to our mentors, to life group members, people that we trust and honest, be honest about it and that we would help each other in walking in that road together and setting up boundaries, whatever it means to tear down those idols in our lives. And we want to come after you, God. We want to spend time with you. Fill us with who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to... Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.